I've led such a little life, and even that'll be over pretty soon. I have allowed myself to lead this little life when inside me there is so much more. And it's all gone unused. And now it never will be. Why do we get all this life if we don't ever use it? Why do we get all these feelings and dreams and hopes if we don't ever use them? That's where Shirley Valentine disappeared. She got lost in all this unused life. Hi, and welcome to Savvy Girl's Guide to Heartbreak Survival, a podcast dedicated to those of us whose lives were cruelly interrupted by an extramarital affair and are determined to learn how to accept the loss and enlarge our lives in ways we never thought possible before the betrayal. This episode explores the expansion and contraction of our lives that inevitably occurs after betrayal. And what I mean by that is our lives become suddenly so small and narrow and stagnant. And at the same time, they feel vacuous and empty and large, which is all to say Savvy Girl's going meta with Shirley Valentine. I'm your host, Savvy Girl. Come on, let's jump into the deep end. It's going to be fun. Let's go. When you're in a relationship for a long time, I mean, it doesn't even have to be for a long time, but the longer you are in a relationship, the more I think your life and maybe perception of yourself merges with the family idea or the idea of this other person. Of course, you spend a lot of time with them, right? This is my friend Pia. If you're new to this podcast, Pia is a fierce warrior girlfriend of mine, but she's also a licensed family therapist and a life coach. And she just has this calm, energetic way of making sense of the chaos and the rubble that we sift through when our lives have been imploded by betrayal. This episode originally was going to be about gossip and how betrayed savvy girls are discussed in their former friendship circles that they had with their beloveds, in their own families, and what I consider most egregious, the gossip that occurs when your former husband or current husband whispers your sexual, intimate insecurities to his new lover. I've been having a really tough time with that. That's the kind of thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night and my cheeks get really red. I'm just, I'm so ashamed that the things I shared inside the sacred circle of marriage have been exploded and whispered to an inferior she-pig lover, and then those things later were used against me. So I thought I would do this podcast on, you know, what it feels like to be talked about and ways that we can overcome the shame and stigma. But my friend Pia says that most men don't actually expose the weaknesses or intimate insecurities of their wives to their lovers. Apparently, this was just my own personal brand of hell brought to me by special delivery of my former beloved. I hope that Pia's right. I hope that you listeners have not experienced this kind of cruel dissection and exposure of your sexual secrets and perceived iniquities from your husband's mouth to his lover's ear. It's seriously, it's almost unbearable. So I shared that caveat with you as a way of letting you know my state of mind when I started this podcast, which was generally quite low, despondent, depressed, you know, just just the steady diet that betrayal feeds you each day. So it was in this kind of state of mind that I watched Shirley Valentine. This is a 1989 film about a middle-aged woman with two grown children and a sort of an indifferent marriage and how she is examining her life that she's led up to this point and what she can do to enlarge it or deepen it. Now, Shirley Valentine has an inverse problem to savvy girls. We have lost who we are because something's been taken from us and our identities have been altered in such a way we don't even recognize who we are right now. And we don't even know who we can be or who we 
we want to be. Shirley Valentine is inside a marriage that is stagnant and predictable, and she's bored and has lost her sense of identity and who she is. But I would argue that this examination of who we are and who we were and who we want to be, I don't want to call it a crisis of identity, but it's actually kind of what it is. I would argue that Shirley Valentine, inside her dull and small marital life, is very similar to a savvy girl once she's been ejected from her routine and steady marital life. Because we're both trying to figure out A, how we ended up in this position, and B, who we want to be moving forward. How we want to expand or enrich or deepen the part of the life that remained unused in our old incarnations. So here's Shirley Valentine just coming back from the shopping. She's in her kitchen preparing dinner for her husband. They call it tea. And she's talking to the wall when her husband walks in. Remember that wall? He used to love me because I was a nutcase. Now he just thinks I am a nutcase. You know what I'd like to do, Wall? I'd like to drink a glass of wine in a country where the grape is grown, sitting by the sea, just sipping wine and watching the sun go down. What's going on here? Who the bloody hell are you talking to? To the wall. To the what? The wall! Any objections? Never mind, I believe the wall. It's nearly six o'clock, get on with getting me tea. Oh my God, six o'clock and his tea isn't ready. Will the government collapse? Does this mean the end of civilization as we know it? I always have my tea at six o'clock. So just think how exciting it would be if for once you had it at quarter past six. Let's make the headlines. World exclusive. Joe eats late. I think you're going round the bend. Oh, I do hope so. I've always wanted to travel. And I think that's the crossroads we come to as savvy girls. I think that we were entrenched in a certain lifestyle and we played roles like wife or mother or daughter-in-law that we loved. And when it was ripped away from us, we suddenly were without roles. We suddenly were without agency or identifiers. And that can be terrifying. And I think if we're honest, we would see that the same ruts and routines that dulled our previous lives, the lives we had inside of a marriage, even if we loved that marriage, become very similar to the dull repetition and routines we express in our grief and aftermath of a destroyed marriage. I always have my tea. I always have my vodka at six o'clock. You see, it might be different nouns than we used when we were in the marriage, but it's certainly the same verbs. Confused, lost, diminished, bored, rebirth, reclaim, reimagine. Okay, the last couple were nouns, but still, that's why I called Pia over. And so I think that when that ends, people a lot of times don't know who they are anymore. I asked Pia what she thought about women like me who loved the role that I played. I I had no intention of not playing the role of wife until my death. And then when that was stripped from me, I not only lost something I loved and a person I loved being, but I also was graded as failure. I got a non-passing grade and I'm a scholar because the person I was sharing that role with and the person I lived that life with said, uh, not good enough. I want something better. And even though we can argue that what he chose is catastrophic, colossal, inferior facsimile to me, I still was rejected and replaced. That almost makes the rejection and the replacement more outrageous and and more difficult to accept. Now, Pia tried to mitigate this idea, but her dog has no teeth. Betrayal means something failed, and usually we look at ourselves and say, what did I do wrong that this person left me? Mm -hmm. Of course we do that. But I think that happens even when there's no betrayal. What do you mean? Because when somebody comes and says, I don't want to be with you anymore, you go, most people go... What happened? Okay, Why well, not? there's an exclamation point on it when it's a betrayal. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so 
we are told, imply, it's implied, you're not good enough, I'm not interested in you anymore, this is more fascinating, this person's better. Um, so then we're left with, we no longer we're good at the role that we already squeezed ourselves into. What do we do at that point? How do we find out who we were or are or want to be? I get very pragmatic. When I feel like my emotions are all over the place, I kind of start focusing on things that I can see a result from, right? So painting a wall, that gives me some sort of satisfaction. Cleaning a kitchen, even though that's very temporary. <laughs> but those very concrete tasks, because I feel like it grounds me, and then I would get up and do my meditation at 6 a.m., and then I would cook breakfast for my kids, and then I would drive them to school even though they could take the school bus. But that was actually for me. It was to give my day structure and tasks. I always have my tea at 6 o'clock. And then I think I came to a point, I was like, I am going to try something new because I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. I was married 25 years. Now, I want to offer a disclaimer for those of you who are in phase one or even early stages of phase two, where you're essentially pinned to the floor, you're confused, you're shocked, you feel the weight of the confusion and loss and grief and rage pressing upon you with such volume that it's difficult to breathe in all the way or even sit up. You are exempt from Pia, and let's remember Pia is an overachiever. You're exempt from trying to try new things to figure out who you are or meditating in the morning or, you know, even feeding yourself. For the first two or three months, I lived off vodka and frozen pizza. And if I got it into the oven and baked it, that was almost a miracle. So I just want to remind you that when you have been sucker punched with betrayal, be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. It's a long game. And what P is talking about here is almost the beginning of stage three, which is when you are starting to accept what's been taken from you and you're starting to evaluate yourself in the mirror saying, okay, I know who I was. Now, who do I want to be? Just know that these savvy girls out here, including me, we have a lot of grace for each other. So don't compare yourself to those savvy girls who are closer to their warriorship than we are. And especially don't compare yourself to Pia because she's an anomaly. Overachievers torment us rather a lot. I'm going to try to do something different. So I had a week of yes. And that was actually really, really interesting. Yeah, I had I had one veto and I had to take yes to everything else if I was invited. For seven days, I had one veto. Yeah, so basically, anytime somebody asked me that week, hey, can we do, I'm like, yeah. So I ended up going out to a farm, helping with harvest one night. Cannabis. I went to a music festival. I helped with hospitality. I met so many new people. So I also got a puppy. <laughs> Which was on the first day. I was like, maybe I should keep my veto and go with the puppy because I have no idea what's coming. If we're starting the week with my daughter asking, can I have a puppy? I had no idea what was going to be at the end of the week that I might have to say no to. But it was just to expand my view, you know, because I think we can get into these ruts where we just do the same over and over and over no, and over again. I would say my life is incredibly small. It's so small right now and placid. Right. There's, I don't, it's not even still waters run deep. It's just mm -hmm. still waters. There's no depth. Right. I mean, so, you know, I would just start from one end to the other and I would say, I'm going to try anything once. Well, how did it help you expand or reinvent who you thought you Well, were? because my friend at one point invited me to go to CrossFit, right? And I was like, looked at her and I'm like, do I look like a CrossFitter? I have... I rode horses, I rode my bike, I would go swimming as a kid, go for loads of walks. 
but I'm not a runner and I'm not a gym person, right? I'm not just not motivated in that environment. But Pia was in the middle of her week of yes, and so she was compelled to say yes in order to redefine herself and figure out who she was and honestly who she wasn't. So she went to the gym. And so then I, I went and I think it was just a beautiful experience and just a socialization and mm-hmm. meeting new people. You and found a little gang that you belong to. Exactly. And so what people... It was it had nothing to do with the rest of my life. It didn't have anything to do with Mark. Nobody knew my ex-husband. <laughs> you know, not, it was like a whole new chapter. Instead of talking to people from my old world, that sounds weird, who would like bring things up or... And this was a completely new environment, just an opportunity to just be me with no... Nobody knew my children. Nobody knew all my little attachments that I came with, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that... So you, at the gym, you weren't Pia who's been left, whose husband left her. You were Pia, the girl who's trying CrossFit. Something completely different. Yes. Okay, I think this might be important. Pia chose to do activities and participate in groups that knew nothing about her husband leaving her. She wasn't the broken, limping, discarded, rejected woman. She was a fierce girl at the gym trying out a new skill. Now for Shirley Valentine, she left by herself to go to Greece, where she sits on the beach by herself and now talks to the rock next to her chair. It was like I'd come to the far side of paradise, and I loved it. First I was a bit scared being on my own, but then I found this little place. I thought, why am I so terrified of being on my own? I'm an expert at it. And then I started to relax. And so just like Pia at the gym, she no longer had to be the heartbroken woman. Shirley Valentine in Greece starts finding her way and discovering she likes who she's becoming. She likes the Shirley Valentine she finds there. Now, what happens next for Shirley Valentine is her husband calls from England attempting to get her to come back home. And I think that this is a good lesson for savvy girls because, I mean, our husbands might not be trying to get us back. Now, mine did. Mine talked to me every single day saying he loved me and wanted to be with me and didn't know how to get out of the relationship he was in, even while he continued to stay in it. But we, in our own minds, I think, call ourselves back to what we used to be. And I think that's part of the gap between acceptance and healing is we become a voice against ourselves, against the new exploration of who we might become. So listen how her husband attempts to belittle and disparage her into coming back to play the role she once had. And see if you can't identify your own voice that attempts to thwart or almost destroy any chance at a new exciting possibility in our lives. I know I can hear my voice. I'm phoning from work because our phone's out of order, that's why. Now listen to me, Cheryl. You belong back here. Now listen, Jane's told me all about it, you know, about, um, about you making a fool of yourself with this holiday romance thing. No, no, Joe, you've got it all wrong. Oh, 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 okay, now, all right, okay, it happens, okay? Middle-aged women make fools of themselves when they go abroad. But look, I'm prepared to forgive you if you prepared to promise that you get yourself on a plane and get yourself back home. Joe, will you listen for one moment? Will you just listen? The only holiday romance I've had is with myself. And and I think I've come to like myself, really. I think I'm all right. I, I think if I saw myself, I'd say, that woman's okay. But Shirley, you can't just run away from life. That's right, Joe, I agree with you. And now that I have found some life, I have no intention of running away from it. But you belong back here. Please, Joe, it's no good to keep phoning, because I'm not coming back. Can't you understand? I'm not coming home. 
surely don't you understand love you don't know what you're saying because you're going through the, the change of life that's right Joe that's exactly what it is it's a change of life and that's exactly what Arpia did. She said, I can't go back to the old life I have. It no longer exists. I have to discover a new one. And so she went out to explore. So first I was thinking, you know, maybe I should do a knitting club. Maybe I should do a woman's club. Maybe I should do this and this and that. You know, I actually went one day on Facebook. I'm like, I'm bored. What's everybody doing? And people would, you know, go, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. And so I think that, you know, also looking at local events, I try to go to meetup groups. I ask all my friends, what are you doing that's unusual? Some people are like, we're playing poker. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to play poker. Let's go. Is there ever a time, though, that where all that industry and activity and even though you're surrounded by new things and fun, where there's you feel a smallness or a loneliness? No, because I picked new environments. I had to like so when I had to the night I had to learn to play poker, I actually was the second to last to exit the game. Right. So I was playing with one other person at the end and I never played poker before. Overachievers tormentous rather a lot and i bluffed my whole way through that game and so you have to really be present and i think i picked environments you know i went on the top of a mountain and i did a grief ritual too and that was a new environment right i just sought out brand new environments to kind of shake my yeah shake my foundation I, I needed to get on a different track i was stuck on one track and i needed something powerful enough to bump me to the next track but of course, no savvy girl can be prepared to jump a track when she's still sitting in the middle of her current train wreck. I write about this early train wreck idea in my book, Savvy Girl's Guide to Heartbreak Survival. This is from a chapter called Mirror, Mirror. Quote, phase three will require savvy girl to feel some real pinches, some very uncomfortable pain as she prepares for a life that invites little pieces of the world back into her heart. And this pain won't feel like the debilitating pain of phase one or the acute steady pain of phase two. That pain was responsive pain. When she was run over by the train wreck of his confession and then with the endless cars flattening her to the floor of his ongoing affair, she stayed prone as it was the only option available to her. To get up off the carpet and sit like a proper human in a chair? Impossible. She was a wild animal, mere roadkill, and felt so worthless that she didn't or couldn't bother to scrape herself up even to avoid the next pig passenger train that was surely on its way. End quote. So what Pia is talking about really occurs later in stage three. In stage one, it feels a little bit more like what Pia is about to say. There is a funny thing about depression that will pull you into your routine and your life and kind of restrict it, right? Because of fear of getting hurt again or fear of getting rejected. And the interesting thing about a lot of things in life is that the very things that scare you the most are probably the things that you have to do to switch track. So in other words, no, Joe, you can't have, have your tea at six, at six o'clock. So I think something savvy girls need to consider is that when we start expanding our lives, when we're ready to jump tracks and try a new train, we probably are going to be judged by those around us who are used to us playing a certain role. This is what happens to Shirley Valentine when she tells her daughter that she's off to Greece with her mate Jane. Never mind that Jane will abandon her in the airport and leave Shirley Valentine on her own in Greece. Her daughter is appalled that her mother is behaving in a way outside of the norm and the role that she expects her to play. I think it's disgusting. Hold on, what's disgusting about it? Two middle-aged women going to Greece on their own. It's disgusting. Oh, don't be silly. Love, where are you going? I'm going back to my flat. 
Beast, at your age, you and that Jane, it's obscene. You are jumping to exactly the same conclusions as your father would. You think I'm off to Greece on a grab a granny fortnight. That's right, Melandra, I'm going to Greece for the sex. Sex for breakfast, sex for dinner, sex for tea and sex for supper. Sounds like a marvellous diet, love. It is, have you never heard of it? It's called the F plan. And then after this explosion with her daughter, Shirley Valentine, our flawed heroine, starts questioning herself, wondering why she's even going to Greece. You going to Greece, what for? And I think savvy girls are going to run into this same kind of resistance when we start figuring out who we want to be and we want to build on to what we to who we already were. And people are going to be uncomfortable because we're we're shifting our lives in such a way that it may affect them. I remember a therapist telling me once a long time ago that stars in the universe are held together by this gravitational pull. And when one star wants to expand or shift location, all the other stars in its pull do everything they can do to hold it in its place. Because you see, if that one star shifts, it will affect the entirety of the galaxy. And so they have a lot of investment in keeping that star in its place, in its old role, in the way they've always been accustomed to interacting with it. And I think we're going to find that as we branch out into our new lives. I think savvy girls need to be prepared for this extra dose of energy they'll need to not only overcome their own resistance of getting off the floor and deciding to explore life a little bit, but also the resistance of those around us who are comfortable and familiar and expecting us to remain in the role that we've always played when maybe we're prepared to do something really wild. I think people resist change and are very comfortable in routine and change and creating new routines and patterns that's going to be essential for Savvy Girl to move forward into her warriorship. And so it's necessary that we are prepared for this resistance from our circles, our friends, our family, our, I mean, even our former partners are going to find this new version of ourselves threatening to them. And they're going to try to resist it. They're going to try to diminish us. But we also should be prepared for trying things out that don't actually fit us well. And that's what happened to Shirley Valentine. She gets all the way to Greece and she's drinking wine from the grape the country was grown in. She's sitting on the seashore watching the sunset and she finds that it isn't anything like she expected it to be. And she's disappointed. Funny, isn't it? You know, when you've pictured something and you've imagined how something's going to be, well, it never turns out like that, does it? I mean, for weeks, I've pictured myself sitting here here drinking wine by the sea and and I knew exactly how I was going to feel. Now I'm here it doesn't feel a bit like that. I don't feel at all lovely and serene. I feel pretty daft actually. And awfully awfully old. And these disappointments we can't let them become failures. We must not sit on the shore of these new experiences and these new stretching opportunities and judge ourselves for feeling daft or old. The pain and devastation of a betrayal causes us to question everything that we were and everything that we wanted, and even the parts of ourselves that we felt so secure in at one time. Nothing makes sense anymore, and everything feels broken. So as we try on new clothes and attempt to play new roles, we must be patient with ourselves. And when we put on something that doesn't fit, we simply take it off and try on something else. We don't quit. We don't sit in despair and judge ourselves as being daft or old. Now, Pia, who is much farther along in her healing than I am from betrayal, has some insights into how she now views the loss of her marriage. She says she doesn't even consider it a loss anymore, which I'm going to challenge. All right, let me ask you this question. Because you've been 
out two and a half years or three it's three is it three okay is it Mm -hmm. wow there were parts of your old life inside your marriage as a mother and a wife that you cherished and loved of course yeah you loved your role of course and and there's loss there's a loss from that identity Mm -hmm. and lifestyle even but i don't even think i don't even consider it a loss anymore what do you consider it a new phase a growth a change an opportunity an evolution it's not a loss anymore but something was taken from you no it wasn't taken well it wasn't taken but in some sense you could say sure but in some sense no because nobody owes me to stay with me for the rest of my life well that no. was the fucking commitment he made when he married you I understand and that was the game you were willing to play yes I agree and by the way you played by the rules I agree. While I adamantly disagree with Pia's assessment about her new perspective on the marriage that she had, I still understand where she's coming from when she says that when this wagon load of manure was poured over her life, she turned it into a compost and started growing a garden. And that actually is kind of exciting to think about. But even as I question Pia's revisionist view of the collapse of her marriage, I really love what she says next. Like if I'm gonna take care of me and do it well and not abandon myself and not outsource my happiness or my needs to other people, how would I do that for Pia? How would I show up for me? Badass. Of course we know Pia's gonna be fine. She's a warrior. But what about a fumbler like me or like Shirley Valentine? For Shirley Valentine, She was able to discover who she was and remain firm in not allowing anyone to diminish her. At the end of the film, her husband Joe actually comes to Greece, where she refuses to restrict herself and smash herself back down into a role that she's now outgrown and no longer wants. I better add here that when her husband meets her on the beach, he actually walks right past her. Her transformation is that astonishing. Her husband of decades doesn't even recognize who she's become now that she's figured out who she is. Didn't recognize you. Hello. I used to be the mother. I used to be the wife. But now I'm Shirley Valentine again. And I think that's what I wish for all us savvy girls, that in the midst of this constriction of our life where so much feels like loss and so much of who we are feels confusing and unrecognizable, that we are able to experience life in such a way that we rediscover our own Shirley Valentine. So what did we learn? We learned that while grief guts us, there may be a little gift in the hollowing because it's gonna make room for something different than we had, yes. But maybe there's a deepening there. Maybe there's an expansion there. Maybe there's some magic in that. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I've got listeners from all over the world now. Badass. And I just wanna remind each one of you that you are not alone. Savvy Girl Podcast is brought to you by The Warriors. Music used by permission from Hassan Chat, solo violin. Mm-hmm.